first and foremost, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I mean, it's, again, what an exciting thing. Uh, I have told everyone in Fargo, and no matter what the world tries to do to get rid of you, you're still moms and you're still ladies. There is a difference because this world is seeking to try and erase women from its vocabulary and from its world and to say that anyone can be whatever they want, which is not true. Uh, all right. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. But before we get there, we're going to have to go through and do a little bit of history before we can get to that particular verse. But that's the crux of the whole study is Judges 2, verse 10. As you, as you turn, turn over to Joshua chapter 23 first. And then we'll pray. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for uh, just another time to get to come and open your word. Just love you and, and praise you and give you glory on Lord Jesus. Thank you that for, for your death, your resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to be here. That if it wasn't for you, it wasn't for your cross, it wasn't for you rising again, none of this would be possible. We wouldn't be here. We would be doing something else. We'd be still stuck in the, the, the miry clay and in, in the filth and in the, the mire that we used to enjoy being in. Uh, so again, Lord Jesus, thank you for, for that which you've uh, given unto us and given us the word of God, given us prayer, given us a newness of life, being able to have access to the throne, uh, your throne, Lord, to come and receive mercy in time of need. So just love you and praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for, for what you've done for us and how good you've been unto us, Lord Jesus. Amen. So Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. If you like titles, the title for, for this one is There Arose Another Generation. So there arose another generation. So Joshua 23, 1 through 4. As we read through this, Joshua is going to gather the people once again. This is towards the end of Joshua's life. And just like Moses did through the book of Deuteronomy, well, that's, again, he was writing that book. It was just him talking with the people who were there. Moses knew he, was going to, he wasn't going to get to enter in. But it says what can go in is the instructions, is, is what God had given, and just the reminder again to do these things. Here's what God told you to do. Go do it. Again, for those of you who have that gift of exhortation, and we all are to exhort one another, but there's a spiritual gift given to, to those who are able to exhort. All exhortation is, it's not, it's not some fancy weird thing that somehow comes upon you like any type of Pentecostal church might, might have some weirdness that happens with it. it. It simply is just, you know what to do. Someone else comes alongside you and says, hey, go do it. And that's what Moses and Joshua are doing. So Joshua, now at the end of his life, is going to set and give a reminder of how the faithfulness of God and how faithful he's been to getting them into the land and, and defeating their enemy before them. So Joshua 23, 1 through 4, it reads, And it came to pass, a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges, and for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain, to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And so Joshua once again is bringing to the remembrance, not the remembrance yet, but what he's saying is, We've conquered a few of the nations, but there's still more work to be done. There's still more fighting that needs to happen. There's still more conquering that needs to, needs to be done. I've apportioned the, the land. Your now is your responsibility, responsibility, like God has given you, to go and to conquer and to inherit the land that he's told you to inherit. And Joshua says, I'm not going to be here for that. 
uh, in one of the other sections, he says, I'm going, to, I'm going the way of all the earth. Again, every single one of us is to man appointed once to die, and afterward the judgment. For us, we die, and we get to go and see Jesus. Again, what a glorious thing it is that we get to do that. So Joshua 23, verses 5 through 11, we're not going to read them, but it's the reminder of God's faithfulness in delivering the children of Israel in the promised land. When they came in, and they, they began with Jericho, and, and the incredible battle plans that no earthly commander would ever have used. Then they come to Ai, and suffering the defeat, but then having the victory after the sin has been put away. And Joshua just goes over and over again. These are the nations that were here. These are the nations that have been conquered. Remember that God has been faithful in defeating your enemy and giving you victory. Joshua 23, verses 12 through 16. Those ones we are going to read. So starting in verse 12, Joshua chapter 23. says, Else if ye do in any wise go back. So he's reminded them of the faithfulness of God and the promise he's made that he's going to drive out the enemies. And he brings up the warning now. He goes, but also, remember, it wasn't just the blessings. He goes, remember the cursing that you agreed to as well. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God uh, spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, until he have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourself to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. So the blessing and the cursing. Joshua simply is bringing them right back. He goes, you remember on the day we entered in. He goes, we went up, and what Moses, God had commanded Moses, Moses then passed on to Joshua, and Joshua was then to go and to fulfill that command. Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, the mountain of cursing. Certain select tribes were to go up, and the heads of, of those tribes were to go up and, and pronounce the blessings, and a certain amount were supposed to go on to the other mount and pronounce the cursings. And each time that what blessing would be said, the children of Israel in the valley between the two mountains would cry up and say, so be it, or amen. And then, likewise, when the cursings would come, after every curse would have to come the declaration of amen. So be it. We enter in. The free willing of entering into the covenant that God was saying was given to them. This is the commands. You know what the blessing will be if you follow and now you know the consequence of your disobedience. And they free willingly entered in to that covenant with the Lord. And all Josh was doing is simply reminding them, remember that you entered into this. God didn't force you. God didn't, didn't take you by the arm and twist it and say, you're going to go do this. He said, you free willingly. God gave you the chance to go in or to go out. And you made this decision. So stick to it. Turn up me over to Joshua, or Joshua's Judges chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, wait a minute, did I read through that correctly? Yes, I did. All right. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you up into the land which I swear unto your fathers. 
And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be, snare, shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bohim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. So the children of Israel face the, the, right in line with this, and we're going to, in Joshua chapter 21, in Joshua, 20, Joshua 24, verse 1, uh, we see kind of the same thing, almost verbatim. Joshua, again, receiving these things, it's not Joshua who's saying this, but we get in Judges, it was what? God is coming here, Joshua simply reciting unto the people what God had already told him to, to give to them. And you, you see that. They're going to be as thorns in your sides and snares unto you. They're gods. If you don't go in and if you don't destroy them, if you don't eradicate the sin and the people and their wickedness and their altars and their worship, when you enter in, it is going to draw you away. And to them, what is it? Just like our sin, is it always a painful thing to have to enter into it? Not always. There's a pleasure for a time, but after that pleasure is dissipated, it is a thorn. It is a snare. It, it's not a fun thing to be in. You think of the snare, it's the bear trap. You set your foot in there, and all of a sudden, it gets stuck, and it digs into your bone, into your, into your skin, and just as fast as you may have had pleasure by reaching up to whatever it was going to be, the pain sets in, and it lasts a lot longer than the pleasure ever would be. Whoa. So that's what he's saying. Their gods are going to do this to you. They're, they're going to be the snares. Tear me back to Joshua 24, verse 1. Uh, again, Bohim, actually, I didn't, I didn't say that before. They named the, the place where they're at after the action that they took. They're weeping. They're having to face the fact that they have not been. Even at this point in time where Joshua is bringing them, with, as we're going to get into Joshua 24, the children of Israel are having to admit, we haven't served the Lord. We haven't obeyed. We haven't done these things. We do enjoy our sin. We do, walking in these, we do enjoy walking in these things. We actually... It does a kind of entice us that they get to come and do that in their worship, and they get to go and do all these fleshly things that we want to do, uh, and it's accepted. And Joshua 24 happens. So Joshua chapter 24, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So again, same section. So as you look at Judges chapter 2, and Joshua 24, same time, same time frame. So as you look, it says Gilgal and Judges, and it says Shechem in here in Joshua 24. So which is it? Is it Shechem or is it Gilgal? The answer is yes. So Gilgal, there's three different Gilgals that have been uh, brought up in the, in, the, in the promised land. And simply, if you take the, the word simply just means a, a rolling or a turning, but also can be translated as a circle of stones. And you can look throughout the, the nation of Israel, and there's a lot of these little just large structures of literally just stones piled around the foundation as a, as a remembrance, as a place to gather. And this one happens to be, that's being referenced in both Judges and Joshua, is right around Shechem and actually right by Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. So again, this is, this is not just a throwaway um, piece of information the Holy Spirit puts in here, but it's to remind them what? Yet again, the Holy Spirit in writing this and, and giving this to Joshua uh, and the writer to, to Judges puts this in there so that it can tell us what? 
as they're gathered, gathered, gathered there in Gilgal and Shechem, that, that area there, what do they get to see in the background? As God and God, as Joshua, as God is speaking to the, the children of Israel through Joshua, right in the background, they're seeing the two mountains. And again, not just remembering by the words, but by the very visuals. Oh, there's the mountain of blessing. There's the mountain of cursing. I remember that day. I remember entering in. I remember what it was that we said. I remember doing those things. All of that done on purpose to come to this point where Joshua is going to present them a decision, whether you're going to serve the Lord who has brought you through all these things, or you're going to serve the gods that your father served before you got here, or the gods of Egypt, or the gods of the people that among the people that you dwell in now. So Joshua chapter 24 Everyone's assembled. We're not going to read through all these. Obviously, we'd be here all night. But Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 through 13, is all simply the reminder of God's faithfulness. In verses 2 through 3, it's God's faithfulness in calling Abraham. He says, I took you out of the pagan nation. He goes, before, after the flood, all of your fathers were idolaters. They, they were pagan. They didn't know the Lord. And yet I called your father Abraham out of that lifestyle presented myself to him, called him to a land that he didn't know, and Abraham simply said, yes, Lord, and he left. Howbeit, he didn't leave right away and didn't follow the commands right away either because he stays with his father-in-law, then he also takes Lot with him. But what does the book of Hebrews say? It doesn't recount his disobedience. It accounts his obedience, that he actually obeyed God. Verse 2 and 3, the calling of Abraham. Verse 3 of Joshua 24 the giving of Isaac. He says, And I gave unto Abraham Isaac. Again, the children of Israel, having, remembering the faithfulness of God, taking uh, Sarai's barren womb and both Abraham and Sarah's old age of no natural ability that there should ever have been a son that was given to them. And yet God says, What? That's because I did it. And God's faithfulness is given, is, is shown there. In verse 4, the provision through Joseph, even though it's not explicitly said, it references the fact that Jude, that, uh, why am I blanking his name? Jacob went down to Egypt. And again, why did we do that? So again, the children of Israel remember, oh yeah, we went down there because there was famine in the land. And God provided through Joseph, through, the, through his suffering, through, through his servitude, through his obedience to the Lord, becoming second in command of all Egypt, and was able to provide not just for the Egyptians, but for all the surrounding nations as well. And Jacob goes down, and then they leave afterward, which is the next set of verses, verses 5 through 7. Later on, 400 years later, when God raises up Moses, and they're remembering, that's right, we came out of that. We remember seeing the plagues. We remember seeing the amazing works that God did to get us out of that place, out of the house of bondage. Again, Joshua is just simply bringing this all back to remembrance. Verses 8 through 10, the provision and protection of the wilderness. He goes, not only that, when your forefathers didn't obey... He goes, you had to, you wandered in the desert, you wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and you saw all of your forefathers die for the disobedience that they had. He goes, and yet God provided for you. The sandals never wearing out, the clothes never wearing out, the manna from heaven, all these things that were given. He just simply says, remember. Verse 11, the supernatural victory of Jericho. Again, we know all these accounts. We know, we know all these things that, as we read through our scriptures. Walk around for six days, one time around the entire city. After, obviously, passing through the Jordan in its flood stage, I mean, you imagine that when 
the, why the children of Jericho and the other children in the promised land or in Canaan at that time were so fearful and afraid was because what did they just see? Where two million people walked through, this is not just some small amount of water that's open and everyone's walking one. This was, that was the entire bank of the Jordan, all gigantic water of wall that rises up and people were just looking up going, what is that? And it made them afraid because they just saw the power of God. So much so that that's when Rahab says, well, we know that your God is, is, is God. This is why they're afraid. And that's when she comes back, will you spare me and spare my family that are here? And I mean, the grace of God, just what an amazing thing it is. That again, she's in, in the lineage of Jesus, in the lineage of Christ. And again, the seventh day, walking around seven times, and then they shout and walls fall down. A supernatural. Uh, I love, I, I don't remember who it was that said this, but you cannot, no general can ever come and study the wars of Israel and make a battle plan from it. There's no way. There's no. There's no human effort that could ever do this. It is only because of the faithfulness of God and those being God's people that, that they had a victory. In verse 12, speaking of the victory over the Amorite kings, when they came against them, and again, you can recount all of the, all of the fights that have happened up to this point, and God always give them, gave them some sort of plan that, again, physically makes absolutely no sense. But yet, because it was him, it worked. Joshua, when he stands there, and I, I believe this is the, the fight that he's referencing, he goes, you remember the day that Joshua cries out? He goes, you remember when I cried out and said, sun stand still, moon stand still? He goes, and it happened. And we fought, and we had victory, and we fought, and we kept going. And he goes, we were right there, and we're going to have victory, but the sun was about to go down. And, and I pray, and this is what happens. And God fulfills that. And they get the kings, and then they're put into a cave. And Joshua says, get them out of there. Later on with the Amorite kings and just seeing the victory. Joshua, with those with the five Amorite kings later on, is when he comes back and has the, the heads of the of the tribes come up and says, Put your, their, your foot on their neck, beheads them, then hangs their bodies up in, in show for all the other nations to say, What? This is what God is able to do. I don't know. Can you handle that? Or does it make you kind of squeamish that Joshua would come back and do that? But that was a testament to all the other nations say, what? Come. Come against us. Our God is able to defeat anything you have to throw at us. And just an amazing thing. Verse 13, speaking of the dwelling in the promised land, he goes, not only did God tell you to go do this, not only did God promise you you would be here, but guess what? You're here. We're literally in the land that God told you to be in. This is the faithfulness of God. And one of the things for myself as I was going through this study is, do we honestly believe this? Or do we just remember these as stories? Do we say, that's nice. I, do, I know that story. I, I know the walls of Jericho. I know Abraham. I know Isaac. I, I know these things. Or do we actually recount and remember that this is the power of God that not only worked in those days, but actually works in these days? The very same power of God that did those things is the very same power of God that we get to walk in now as we go and share the gospel. As we go and, and we are in a warfare for souls in this life. So Joshua 24, verses 14 through 27, we're going to read those. After all this reminding, he now says this phrase, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, they were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me, in my house we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage in which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if, if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. Then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, that being Joshua, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone, and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. <clears throat> so again, just an amazing thing. A decision to be made. We have a similar decision to make. The same type of thing that happens here with Joshua and the Church of Israel in 24 is the very same thing given to us in Romans chapter 12. We are given the opportunity to make the decision whether we're going to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice, which is that good and that reasonable service which is given to us. But I know for myself, I have many times where I'm that sacrifice on the altar, and I put myself on the altar, and all of a sudden the, fl the flames of the fire start to get real hot, so I hop off the altar. And then I'm like, oh, but, but God is faithful, so I hop back onto the altar, and then want to have to want to then say, God, this is my life is, is an offering unto you. And then flames get hot, ooh, I don't like that very much, so I hop off the altar again. And then there's many of us as believers who do this. And we hop on, and we hop off, and we hop on, and we hop off, and, well, God, I don't like that. Well, God, I don't, that doesn't feel very good, and I, I don't like what you're taking, and I, I don't like that I can't do this anymore, and all these things that happen into our very lives. But our decision is to be made just like the children of Israel. Once and for all, will we allow ourselves to be on the altar and allow the flames of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, the flames of God, to actually burn away all of the filth and the junk that's in our own lives? All the things we think about, all the things we say, all the things we're willing to endure and to watch and to hear, and actually be that that which is good can remain. So Judges chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Return with me there. We already read 5, we're going to read it again. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. So again, that place of weeping, as they come to this decision, as they realize what they've allowed themselves to do, that they have walked and strayed so far away from the Lord and the God who had already brought them out. And then comes this. And when Joshua, in verse 6 of Judges 2, when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, but had seen, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for, for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, 
And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And now turn me back to Joshua chapter 24, verses 28 to 33. And this is going to read almost verbatim. Almost word for word, you're going to see almost the exact same language. So verse 28 says, So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sirah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived, that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And, Eli, and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. So again, even more of the faithfulness. You, you remember this with, with Joseph. And Joseph says what? When you, when you leave, not if. Again, he, God allowing him to see very much far in the future and knowing the promises of God. He says what? When you leave Egypt, take my bones with you and bury me in the land. And again, just oh, what an amazing thing. So Judges chapter 1. So now we pick up when, after Joshua's death. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And now begins the conquesting. So the land that was still to remain, and the enemy that was still in the land, they were now to go and to possess and to fill the command that God had given them. And in, Ju- in Judges chapter 1, verses 2 through 10, and verses 16 through 18, Things are going pretty well. Judah goes out and actually is, is victorious over the enemy. All the accounts speak of them going out. And they fight and they win. And they take the land. And they took this part of the land. And they took this part of the land. And they had a victory. Judges chapter 1, verses 11 through 15 and verse, and verse 20 is actually dedicated to Caleb and, and his family, actually. Again, just another reference of the faithfulness of God. In Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15, we're not going to read through it. But that's the reference when Caleb gets to enter into the land. He says, I was 40 years old when we first got here. When I came in and I spied out the land. It's 45 more years. I'm 85 now. And I'm as strong as I was as I was back when I was 40. He goes, and that mountain, Mount Hebron, that mountain, the place where all of those giants were, all of the giants that our forefathers were scared of, all of the giants that scared everyone else into unbelief, that very spot God gave to me, and you, by the hand of, uh, of Moses, said that would be my inheritance. Give it to me. And he goes and he takes it and he wins, and he, and he defeats the, the sons of Anak, or the Anakim that are there, the giants in that land, and he's victorious. Verses 11 through 15 speaks of then uh, another parcel of land that was there, Kirjath Sefer, and he says, whoever is able to go and to take this land I will offer up my, my daughter uh, to, be, to be his wife. And it turns out that it's his brother. It's if not, Othniel goes and defeats it, and, and, he, and he gives her uh, Oxa, his daughter, to wife. And he gives them a portion of land, but it's a, it's a dry land. It's an arid land. And so she comes back, and she asks her father, will you give me water? 
We, you've given us a land, you've given us a dry land, it's hot, we need water to sustain it. And Caleb doesn't just give her a portion of, of water, he gives her the upper and the lower springs as well. And again, that, that beautiful part for us in, in that faithfulness of God, that you and I, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, does God withhold it? He doesn't. He doesn't just give us the Holy Spirit, he then gives us the overflow of the Holy Spirit, that epi, the uponness of the Holy Spirit. And, and again, any one of us can ask for that and, and receive it. So again, all of this to speak of God's faithfulness, but now once we get to verse 19, things begin to take a turn for the worst. So Judges 1, 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and they drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. As we've begun, it's victory, 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 victory. As soon as we get to 19, and they couldn't. They couldn't defeat the enemy yet. And it only gets worse from here. As we continue down this, these verses, again, we're not going to read through all of them, but as we go through them, you're going to see a decline. Defeat, unable to, you're refusing to drive out the people. So victory, but refusing to actually get the people out of there. And then there's going to take a turn that not only are they not driving the people out, but then they're actually going to make them servants and tributaries. They're going to make money. They said, well, why should we kill them? We might as well put them to service and we can make money off of them. And that's kind of still what God wanted, right? And then from there, it's going to get even worse, where then they're going to, the enemy is going to be allowed to dwell in their territory. And then it gets even worse. We're not only, are the enemy's not going to dwell there, they're going to dwell in the enemy's territory. And at the very end, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see one of the tribes, they simply don't have any victory at all in their conquest. So Judges 1.21, Benjamin refuses to drive out the inhabitants. It begins with that small compromise. Well, they don't need to all go. God had given the command, either drive them all out of the land or kill all of them because of the wickedness of their idolatrous worship. And we're going to get to what they actually did later on in the study. Judges 1, verses 22 to 26, the house of Joseph, they come in, so Manasseh, Ephraim, when, when they're there in the, in the inheritance, allows a family to survive. So when you go through those verses, there's a city called Luz, and they go and they're going to take them, they ask and they see a family coming out, and he says, show us the way in, and we'll spare you and your family's life. And the guy does it. He shows them the way in. They go, they take the city. They, they spare that man, and that man goes. And again, what was their command? Drive them out of the land or kill them. Well, he then goes back to this, the land of the Hittites, still in that same source of, a portion of where the land is at. And the very city they just, con they just conquered gets rebuilt a few years later. The exact same name. And the, the heartbreaking thing that's said in here is it's, it remains there to this day. In the day that the book of Judges is being written, it says not only did that city, that city now many years later is still here. They're still thriving. The picture there. This is what happens in our lives when we allow sin to not be completely eradicated from our lives. A little compromise, a little allowance, and what does it simply do? It grows and it grows and it grows until it is full-blown sin once again. Well, it's still sin, but until it actually has way more power and influence into your life once more. Just a simple compromise. Didn't seem that big of a deal. It's one family. What are they going to do? An entire city gets raised up by them. 
This is 1, verses 27 to 28. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants, but placed them under tribute. So now comes the servitude and the making money. And you know what? We know better than God. Why should we have to give up this? We can actually make a good profit off of these people. Judges 1, 29. Ephraim did not drive out the inhabitants, and the Canaanites dwelt among them. Judges chapter 1, verse 30. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants, but made them tributaries, and the Canaanites dwelt among them. Here now, again, we're getting, getting even worse. Judges 1, verses 31 to 32. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants, and instead of the enemy dwelling among them, they dwelt among the enemy. Judges chapter 1, verse 33. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants, but dwelt among the enemy, just like Asher. Yet, they were able to make the, the enemy servants unto them. And finally, the heartbreaking one, Judges 1, verse 34, Dan defeated by the Amorites and driven back into the mountains. Not only could they not take the land that was theirs to, to inherit, they actually get pushed out of it by the enemy. Judges 1, 35 and 36. The Amorites dwell among the people, Again, yet the house of Joseph was able to make them tributaries, or again, making more money, making more servants. But the heartbreaking thing is there's a portion of the Amorites who actually have a portion of the land, and they get to have, in verse 36, the enemy dwells in the land as their own. The enemy gets to have their own section of the land right there with the children of Israel because of the disobedience. Again, the picture is for us. What do we allow to dwell with us? These are, these are the things, and, and this was not just some, um, how do I put it? It seemed like a small thing then, until we get to our final verse, well not the final verse, but the final place we're looking at, which is Judges chapter 2, verse 10. That was the ultimate result of these little compromises along the way. So out of uh, Halley or Haley's Bible Handbook, pages 166 and 167, this is the religion of the Canaanites. This, is what this, this was just a regular practice that they would do. This is what they enjoyed, and this is what was actually accepted by the gods they served. So this is just from the archaeological notes. Again, they had temple prostitution. Again, all the things, male, female, all those there that they were going under, they had all these things they were in. The archaeological notes and the findings that they found, the Canaanite religion... God's express command to Israel was to destroy or drive out the Canaanites, given in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. And Joshua went at the task in dead earnest, God himself helping with mighty work, mighty miracles. In reality, God did it. It's all in caps, so that's why I have to say it that way. In excavations at, at Gezer, McAllister of the Palestine Exploration Fund in 1904 and 1909, through 1909, found in the Canaanite stratum, which had preceded Israelite occupation of about 1500 B.C., the ruins of a high place which had been a temple in which they worshipped their god Baal and their goddess Ashtoreth, or Astarte. It was an enclosure 150 by 120 feet, surrounded by a wall, open to the sky where the inhabitants held their religious festivals. Within the walls were ten rude stone pillars, five to eleven feet high, before which the sacrifices were offered. Under the debris in the high place, McAllister found great numbers of jars containing the remains of children who had been sacrificed to Baal. 
the whole area proved to be a cemetery for newborn babes. Another horrible practice was that they called foundation sacrifices. When a house was to be built, a child would be sacrificed and its body built into the wall to bring good luck to the rest of the family. Many of these were found in Gezer. They had been found also at Megiddo, Jericho, and other places. Also in this high place under the rubbish, McAllister found enormous quantities of images and plaques of Ashtoreth with rudely exaggerated sex organs designed to foster sensual feelings. So Canaanites worshipped by immoral indulgence as a religious rite in the presence of their gods and then by murdering their firstborn children as a sacrifice to these same gods. It seems that in large measure, the land of Canaan had become a sort of Sodom and Gomorrah on a national scale. Do we wonder why lo any longer why God commanded Israel to exterminate the Canaanites? Did a civilization of such abominable filth and brutality have any right longer to exist? It is one of history's examples of the wrath of God against the wickedness of nations. Archaeologists who dig in the ruins of, of Canaanite cities wonder that God did not destroy, the, destroy them sooner than he did. God's object in the command to exterminate the Canaanites, besides being a judgment on the Canaanites, was to keep Israel from idolatry and its shameful practices. God was founding the Israelite nation for the one grand specific purpose of paving the way for the coming of Christ, by establishing in the world the idea that there is one true, there is one true living God. If Israel fell into idolatry, then there ceased to be a reason for its existence as a nation. As a matter of precaution, it was needful to clean the land of the last vestige of idolatrous worship. In this manner, Joshua gave Israel a good start. If only Israel had kept it up, what a different story there would have been to tell. Yeah. Pages 166 and 167 of Halley's Bible Handbook. For the children of Israel did not obey God in all that he commanded them to do. After so much time dwelling among the enemies and ceasing from warfare, there was no longer a reminding and remembering of what God had done. And seeing the Lord's mighty hand, and without having that, we now come to the sad state of Judges 2.10. So Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the, uh, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The book of Judges spans many years and it is a sad state of living for the children of Israel. The children of Israel are willing to endure 111 years of oppression and are allowed by God 299 years of rest. As the book progresses, the amount of time the children of Israel are willing to dwell in oppression waxes and wanes. But ultimately, the final number we are given is a 40-year span of oppression before they are willing to cry out to God in repentance for deliverance. I, As I was going through this and even I had just finished up going through Judges for my, my devotions. And that was one thing that I took from this. Simply, what, what is it? As we dwell in, with any type of sin, any compromises, all it does is simply make you, make the ability that you're willing, uh, how am I trying to set this together? We are willing to put up with much more filth the more we allow ourselves to give into it. The children of Israel, at the very end of that, during the, the time before Samson is raised up, God, they allowed themselves to be an oppressed, oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years before they're finally able to be willing to say, we're wrong. God, will you please help? So 
So again, from Halley's Bible Handbook, page 170. You know, I like the way that he, that he summarizes this. The entire book, the refrain running through the book is, is the subtitle put on here. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They were ever and anon falling away from God into the worship of idols. When they did this, God delivered Israel into the hands of their oppressors. Then when Israel, in their suffering and distress, turned back and cried to God, God had pity on Israel and raised up judges who saved Israel from their enemies. As long as the judge lived, the people served God. But when the judge died, the people again played the harlot after idols. Invariably, when they served God, they, they prospered. And when they served idols, they suffered. Israel's troubles were due directly to their disobedience. They did not keep themselves from idols. They did not exterminate the inhabitants of the land as they had been commanded. And from time to time, the struggle for mastery was renewed. The same thing goes for us. You and I, as we come back, and the example I was able to use in Fargo, and even, again, some have little screens, and some of us have big screens in our house. And through that portal, how much of the wickedness of this world are we, do we allow to dwell in our homes? How much of the images and all things that are there? So what do you see? In, in that, in the Canaanite, all they did was full-blown and all, in all honesty said what? Here's all the things we like to look at. Here's all the things we like to do. We're okay with it. Deal with it. We live in the very same days. I mean, the, if you simply just take the foundation sacrifice and change it to abortion, because I'm just not ready yet. I, I, I can't take a child. I, can, I can't provide for him. Let me just kill it. I don't have my life in order yet. I, I, don't, I, need to, I need to expand my career. I need to be able to have a house. I need to be able to do these things. I can't, I can't provide for this child. Let me just abort it. Let me kill it. It's the same thing. My life is this way. I mean, do you see the wickedness of that? Let's kill this baby in hopes of, in hopes of having good luck in our home and having more children. That's what they did. And that was their belief. And what is it now that we look at our world? Our world does the exact same thing. I'm going to kill this one, and yet later on they, they have more. Not having any regret over the life they just killed. It's just a hard thing to, to come back. And there's a picture in here. I believe it's on page 198, if I remember correctly. That you can go back and look at it in your Haley Bubble Handbook. Of the archaeological finding of a broken jar, and you see the skeletal skeleton of a small child. And that was just normal to find them in the land of Canaan. The same thing with them is the same thing for us. I, I am surprised that God has not judged our nation yet at this point in time. But again, it's his long suffering that leads that, that draws us. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance, but it's his long suffering to us that no men would perish. That's his will. As you look through the book of Judges, it's also, in my opinion, it's not specifically stated in the book of Judges, but my opinion, that the quality of men and the one woman that God chooses to use seems to go down. Their character, as you start off with Othniel, the brother of, uh, of Caleb is the very first judge given to the nation of Israel. And as he delivers them, they're willing to suffer eight years of oppression. And God gives them 40 years of deliverance. And you'll continue to look at those. And if you take the numbers side by side, 
you'll see it wax. So 8, 18, 20 years, 8 years, 7 years. And God begins with 40, gives them then 80, gives them 40 more years, and then it just decreases from there because of the wickedness of the people that they're willing to do. It gets so bad, again, in my opinion, so much so that he then waits for babies to come of age to use them as, as in the accounts of Samson and Samuel. As you start to get down to the, to the level of Jephthah and the other men, it's almost seemed as if they really just don't serve God at all, really. But God uses them because there's some sort of character that they actually hold. And to me, that's my opinion. I don't, I don't know if those are really just the, the best men God could find. It could be, could not be, I don't know. But it seems that way when it comes to Samson. And God gives him the promise, and then he has to wait for Samson to come of age to be able to use him in that way. And then obviously with Samuel. And we know, we know the historical account. Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina has children, Hannah has none. And year after year, coming to the temple, Hannah comes and cries out, God, give me a son. God, give me a son. God, give me a son. Please make it so that I can, I can finally just make this my enemy, just be quiet. That, I, that she can stop throwing it into my face that I cannot have children. Because Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Penina. Yet Penina had children. So again, what did she do? The war in between wives. And finally Hannah comes one another time. And she finally comes humbly before the Lord and says, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. All the days of his life he'll serve you. And God says, okay. And from there he, they have other children as well. But Samuel's offered up. <laughs> In a much better sacrifice, might I add, than the Canaanites did. Hannah did the same, not the same thing, but she offered up her firstborn and said, what? God, you gave him to me? I give him back to you. And we get to see the things of him raising, uh, rising up. And when he begins his ministry, here's the state of the nation of Israel. As Joshua is still, as Joshua, as Samuel is still a child. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, and God continues to have him minister and grow. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And again, the, the word precious there, and we've heard this before, but I, I always like the way it comes in. Doesn't it sound so nice? Oh, the word of God is so precious. The word means it was scarce. There was no desire. There was no hunger. There was no, let's hear what God has to say. And there was no open vision. Not because God wasn't wanting to speak, because the people were unwilling to come and hear. Do you see the days we live in? There's no hunger. There's no thirst. There's no desire for the word of God. So much so that it's a sad state that not even the church wants to hear what God has to say. These are the days we live in. So we're in good company. Because look at the, God, the, the men and the women that God chose to use. It was in those very moments as well. So don't lose heart in this, but take heart that our God is still faithful and still has the power to, and has still given us a command. What is our command to go out? Our command is to go out and share the gospel, to go and to teach, to raise up others, to, to not make converts, but to make disciples, those who are willing to go and to follow Jesus. Because again, we live in these last days. And what does that simply mean? We are excited. At least I am excited. 
It could be today. As we sing that song, it, it's not just some pass away song that we're going to throw, throw away. It could be right, right now that we're caught up into heaven. We hear that trumpet blast and we get to be caught up. But what does that also mean? That there's many of us, every single one of us who knows someone or knows a group of people or knows many people, especially in our city and in this city, who are going to then have to suffer the judgment and wrath of God when we're not here anymore. Now, praise God, there's many who are still going to be saved out of this, but why not have them be saved now? So as we look at the book of Judges and we look through, through all the things we've studied here, if this sounds like our lives, take heed to the warnings given to us through these sections of Scripture. All these things written for our admonition, which is the very first one we're going to go to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Well, it looks like the laptop's actually staying. This is not the regular laptop. It's a different laptop because I forgot to bring the other laptop. Just confess it right here on the recording and then the email later. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them, speaking of the children of Israel, for in samples, and they are written to, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And this is, again, the days we live in. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 to 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And finally, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. 2 Peter 3, 9 through 18. And again, uh, this wasn't originally in my notes. This was as we had a Sunday morning prayer there in, in Fargo. Uh, the Lord gave me this section, and what an amazing exhortation to end this, the study with. So again, starting in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Second Peter. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwell righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, to be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction." Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And the applications. Uh, there's six of them. Obviously, I would hope you get all of them, but if anything, take number six. Number one, remember 
as you have the opportunity, remember and remind yourself and your children of what God has done for you and the works he has done in your lives. Take them from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 7. Chapter 2, or not chapter 2, application number 2. Deny yourself, take up the cross daily, and follow Jesus. Found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Again, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Number 3, do not let sin reign in our bodies. Romans chapter 6, 9 through 14. Again, Romans chapter 6, 9 through 14. Number 4, crucify the flesh. Live and walk in the Spirit. Take it from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. Number five, put on the new man and the whole armor of God. Both taken from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. And chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. In chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And finally, number 6. And if again, if you take none of them else, this one is the one that I exhort you to, to take and to do. Take up the weapons of our warfare and fight the good fight of faith. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Again, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, and finally 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. Those two things are what brought the children of Israel to ruin. Not passing on what God had given them. Not bringing back to remembrance how faithful God had been to their children. Because again, the book of Judges spans somewhere around 410 years. Some of those years overlap, so it's, it's hard to pin down the exact amount of years that are there. But this wasn't a fast turn. It wasn't a, all of a sudden they're doing idol worship. It was generation and year after year, family after family, saying, we don't need to pass this on. We don't need to remember these things until finally it came all the way to the head in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. There arose a generation who had no idea who God was and who didn't care to know who God was. We live in a generation just exactly the same. I was talking to some to Ransel and uh, and one of the other brothers from church down in uh, in Fargo, and I was saying, "How many World War II vets do we have anymore?" It's it's far and in between. There's st we still have a few, but an entire generation who knew what it was to fight, who knew what it was to lay down life, who knew what it was and, and what freedom actually cost. A generation is almost gone. And there's arisen another generation who knows not anything of warfare. The same thing has happened that happened to the Church of Israel. We don't have to look that far to see this. It's written in Scripture, and we can actually look at our own history and see the exact same thing play out. What was the other thing? There was no war. The children of Israel thought they had nothing left to do. In reality, what was their command? There was still to be warfare. There was still enemy in the land. There were still things to be, to, to be fought for. But yet they laid down their weapons and said, we're okay with this. You and I still have that fight. You and I, again, those spiritual weapons given unto us for the pulling down of strongholds. Not just the strongholds out there in the world, 
but that are right in here. The strongholds that we've allowed to grow up and be placed in there. The places where we've allowed Satan to get a foothold into our own hearts and into our own lives and what we agree with and accept. And, that, and that's the thing. Are we so desensitized that a lot of the things in the world just don't affect us anymore? And that's the reality. I have to come back and I, I can't just allow these things to be there. What movies do we watch? What music do we listen to? What things are, are all around us that we just simply accept? Because, well, that's just, that's just how it is now. When it should be that we war and we fight against and we pray and we see, God, what is going on? That this is now acceptable in our nation and, and, and taking up the two weapons. We, only, we have two. That's it. So it's not even hard to take them up. It's prayer and the Word of God. Those are the two weapons given unto us for us to use in our, in our, in our offense. The rest of the armor is all defensive to keep those things out of your life. But to actually wage that warfare, the Word of God in prayer. And so Lord Jesus, just come ask, Lord, that we would be faithful men and women to come and take up those weapons. Lord, that we would, be, we would not seek to be men and women who, who look like we pray, but we would be men and women who actually pray who actually take in the Word of God, who actually have changed lives, who, who actually have testimonies that are, that are able to go and to prick and, and to pierce the hearts of men and women that we come in contact with, that they would see our lives and they would desire to have them. Lord, may it be that we would actually, our lives would be that which would turn many to, to you, O oh Jesus. Why, why don't we watch these things? Why don't we say these things? Why, why don't we hear these things? Why, why do we do the things that we do and it would be that it's because we love you more than we love the pleasure we get to have in this world so forgive us Lord we've allowed the world to creep in and I ask you Lord Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit you would hold each and every one of us uh, to overflow into your Holy Spirit to, to follow those commands you've given us to do those simple walks of obedience the, the next step to take and simply having your word as that lamp, just simply trust you and know the one who knows all things in from the beginning, and just simply keep taking the next step until you call us home. So love you and praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.